Thank you so much. May we pray. Our Father, we pray for God's hand upon this service today, that the name of the Lord Jesus would be honored, that those who have never come to Christ might receive him as Savior and Lord. We pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work of conviction and conversion and encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The details are not available. They will be in a few minutes. The White House is now... And so we entered World War II with a sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. Forty-five years ago, this very morning, shortly before 8 a.m. on December the 7th, 1941, the Japanese struck Pearl Harbor in Hawaii without warning. Fighters and dive bombers emblazoned with the emblem of the rising sun attacked U.S. airfields while Japanese high-level bombers and torpedo bombers mounted a furious attack on the assembled warships of the United States Pacific Fleet. The Americans, caught completely by surprise, could only offer feeble resistance. Of the eight heavy battleships at anchor at the naval base, seven were either sunk or severely damaged. Three cruisers and three destroyers were crippled. Of the 394 U.S. aircraft in the area, almost all were badly damaged or demolished. In less than two hours, the Japanese had greatly reduced the American striking power. The devastating sneak attack, which left 2,330 Americans dead, 1,145 wounded, sent a wave of shock across America. The next day, President Franklin D. Roosevelt asked Congress to declare war on Japan, a request that was approved by an overwhelming vote of 470 to 1. And so we entered the war and almost lost it. And we honor today those men and women who were willing to serve and be in places of danger during those dark days of World War II. We thank God for some in our congregation who served in that war and who came home. And we honor with blessed memory those who did not come home. One of the men in our church who was not able to be here today wrote a letter. He was with my brother in the invasion of Okinawa. I want to read you part of that letter. On December the 8th, 1941, I was a boy 16 years old when war was declared on Japan because of a sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. On December the 7th, this year, 
No news on television how, about how many innocent people, men, women, and children, were killed and injured by the sneak attack. On August 6th and 9th, 1945, I was a U.S. Marine, 19 years old, when Hiroshima and Nagasaki were bombed. This forced Japan's offer to surrender on August the 10th, 1945, and was accepted August the 11th, 1945. On September 2nd of that year, Japan surrendered unconditionally on USS Missouri in the Tokyo Bay. I was on the invasion of Okinawa, April 1st, 1945, where the next 81 days was a hell on earth. Before we gained control on June 21st, every night was like the 4th of July. We were a stone's throw from Tokyo, which was our slogan. We were getting ready to go to our next invasion, Japan. We all knew this would be the end of our life, as the Japanese believed it an honor to die in the battle. The reason for the kamikaze, or suicide planes. The best news of all time came after we dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. Today, the news media play up the big groups that are against the atomic bomb. But let me tell you that all those so-called peace groups, that if you or them had been in my shoes 40 years ago, you would thank the Lord that we had a device that would bring an end to war before the war brought an end to us. The U.S. was not guilty. The debt was paid. I feel the media should explain why we used an atomic device and give praise to President Harry S. Truman for saving all of the lives of the U.S. service men and women. As a United States citizen, be proud of our United States. Teach our children that when their life is in danger, we have ways that can now protect them. We were not the villain during the war, as some of the peace groups would try to make us believe. A former U.S. Marine, Homer Morris. I appreciate that letter, and I think it reflects the thinking and feeling of thousands of men and women who served in our military during that bloody and dark time. We live in a time when we wonder, what is it all about? It reminds me of a time in Israel's history told about in Joshua chapter 4. Would you turn in your Bible, Joshua chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. <clears throat> It was a dark day in Israel's history. They had just come through the wilderness wanderings. Moses, the servant of God, was dead. They were crossing the Jordan River, and they did not know what was just ahead of them. They knew there would be war. They knew there had to be conquest. And the Lord took their part. And I would like to add a postscript to the letter Homer wrote, just to say that we're thankful for all the technical abilities that God gave America. We're thankful for the superior power that the Lord let us have, and incidentally, it could easily have fallen into the hands of Adolf Hitler. He was just a stone's throw from developing what became the hydrogen 
and atomic power. But God let America have it. And we haven't known what to do with it. But it did bring to the end of that war. But in addition to the armaments that we had, God caused there to be a spiritual rearmament in America during those dark years. And while we are thankful for the strength of America's military power, I think frankly that her spiritual power outweighed the military power. And the reason that America remained after the war undefeated and the reason America remains to this day is because there's a large segment of godly Bible-believing people in this nation who have banded themselves together to pray and to seek God's face and to turn from their wicked ways and to let Christ be all in all. This was true in Joshua's day. Beginning in verse 19, chapter 4, and the people came up out of the Jericho, uh, excuse me, out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. Now it says they came up out of the Jordan. What had happened, the Jordan River was at flood stage. The people had come on the other side of the Jordan and they were trying to follow Joshua, but they said, alas, we cannot cross the river. It is at flood stage and there's no way we can do it. And God said, Joshua, you have the priests go to the Jordan water and put your feet in the river and you go with them and I will pull back the waters of the Jordan River. And that's exactly what God did. And the people of God crossed the Jordan River on dry land. And while they were in the depths of the river bottom, Joshua had some men pick up some stones out of that river bottom. Beginning in verse 20. And these 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan did Joshua set up in Gilgal. And he spoke unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. And the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. And here's the reason, Mark verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that that hand is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. These were the three reasons for those stones. And generation after generation, long after people had forgotten the crossing of the Jordan River, they would come to Gilgal and see these 12 stones. And they say, what mean these stones? What is this all about? Somebody said, I'm glad you asked. They represent the time when God let his people come across the Jordan River on dry land. 
And there are reasons why God caused us to set up these stones. Number one, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. Number two, that that hand is mighty. And number three, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Sunday, December the 7th, 1986. Why would you remember Pearl Harbor? Why would you set aside this date in the church calendar for a military day? I'm glad you asked. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. And that that hand is mighty and you might fear the Lord your God forever, lest we forget, lest we forget. In a recent Naramore Foundation booklet authored by Dr. John Allen Levender, he said Nikita Khrushchev said just prior to his forced retirement, the United States of America is living out the last years of its greatness. Lavender pointed out that when he was a boy, England was the number one world empire. It never occurred to anyone that the British might be living out the last years of their greatness, but they were. A century before, he said France under Napoleon was the number one world empire, and before France, Spain, and before Spain, Rome, Greece, Egypt, Babylon, and many others. Nations once great, some of which are now lost from the face of the earth. Some of these bled to death on the battlefield, but more, many more, rotted in death in peace. In the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, author Gibbons sets forth the five basic reasons why the Roman civilization withered and died. Number one, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis for human society. Number two, higher and higher taxes, the spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure, sports becoming every year more exciting, more brutal, more immoral. Number four, the building of great armaments, when the real enemy was within, the decay of individual responsibility. Number five, the decline of religion, faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life, losing power to guide the people. <clears throat> Those five indictments on the ancient Roman Empire and the other empires that have risen in power and fallen and ruined away <coughs> are indictments that could well be placed against the United States today. What mean these stones? Why remember Pearl Harbor? Why remember the crossing of the Jordan on dry land? That the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. The shepherds were keeping their flock by night. The angel came, and, they, and the angel said, Fear not, for behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And then the shepherds said one to another, What does this mean? What mean these angel voices? Let's go into Bethlehem and see what this means. What are all the signatures of God in the heavens? What are all these great symbols of God that the Lord has placed as epochs in history down through the years? What does it all mean? Joshua gave it to us when he said that the people might know the hand of the Lord. How helpless and hopeless we would be were it not for the hand of God. Have you seen the hand of God in your life recently? Have we paused to give glory to God for the hand of God upon America? What happened at Pearl Harbor could have crippled and paralyzed this nation and scared us out of our wits. This was not mentioned in some of the things we have given to you this morning. But during those early days of the war, there were rumors that there would be an invasion of the West Coast. Indeed, after the war, we found in the documents of Japanese history their plans for an invasion of Oregon and Washington. What stopped it? Why did they not come? Why did America not become a slave nation like Korea has been, like China has been, like Southeast Asia has been under the hand of the mighty powers of Japan? And let me hasten to say, nothing that I'm saying this morning is to be understood as, as against Japan. They paid a huge debt. The warmongers were, were dealt with. Japan is a great nation. The Japanese people are a precious people. Our own Takahiro Oi, his father was killed in that war. He came to America later. He was in our church, saved, baptized, called to preach, gone back to Japan as a missionary, married his precious wife, Lana. We hold no rancor against the Japanese people. But the reason we observe this day and remember it is so that we and the people of the world might know the hand of the Lord, that it is God that sets up one nation and puts down another, that it is God that enters into the battlefields that it is the Lord God in response to the hearts of God's people that comes to our rescue. What kind of turmoil have you been going through? What kind of trouble have you had in your life? Sickness? Trouble? Home problems? Financial difficulties? Death? And you've wrung your hands and you've wondered, what can I do? What shall we do in the face of all the trouble that comes? Shall we just curl up in a knot and die, throw in the towel, quit, or be depressed and discouraged and defeated? Or shall we look to God and know the hand of God upon us 
For I want to tell you, God is not dead. The same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who raised Jesus from the dead has the power today to minister to your heart and to your life in your time of distress, in your time of difficulty, in your time of trouble. The Lord God can be there and will be there with you all through the day and all through the night until there are no more nights and only an endless day with Jesus. And that which brought America to victory was not our own prowess. It was not our own military might. It was the hand of the Lord. And the second lesson we learn is that that hand is mighty. That hand is mighty. We've sung some songs this morning that testify to the power of God. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. Why do that? Because the hand of God is a mighty hand and we need to express it and let others know. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight to realms unknown. Come and worship the Christ, the newborn King. Why? Because God came down at Christmas time, all wrapped up as a baby, knocking on the world's doors through baby fingers to say to a world, I care, I love you. And you do not have to go through the Jordan Valleys alone. I'll be with you all the way. And the third lesson, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. How do you fear the Lord? That little word fear sometimes is misunderstood. If you're sitting next to somebody that's asleep, wake them up, please. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not being scared of him. You be, you're out on, on a night when the thunder is there and the lightning is livid all around you. And there's, a, there's a fear in your heart. You're out in an awful storm and you drive carefully because you might slide off the road or slide into somebody and you're sort of scared. That isn't really the fear of the Lord. That's not the fear that's talked about here. You go into a house. During Halloween, we had a haunted house. And I understand, I didn't get to be there, but I understand there was somebody in a casket. And they went through there. The first group that went through there must have been sort of shocked and scared when they came and that casket, that hand began to come up like that. Well, that would drive shivers in your, up and down your backbone. That's not what we're talking about. Not that kind of fear. But the fear of the Lord is a holy, reverential awe that recognizes if anybody's going to do anything to help me, it has to be God. If anybody's going to save me, it has to be God. If anybody is worth worshiping, it has to be God. And you stand in holy reverence. Now that doesn't mean that you sit there like a mummy. <laughs> Our choir began this morning, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That was in the fear of the Lord. I don't think there's been a moment in this service today when we've sat here like mummies and, and uh, heard the organ play some funeral march in D minor. That isn't fear of the Lord. That might be classical, and you might enjoy it. I enjoy classical music, but that isn't the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a realization in our heart that I am nothing and God is everything, and that if anybody is going to help me in my distress, God must do it, and God will do it. And I want to tell you this morning, 
If you're here without the Lord Christ in your heart, you have never opened your heart to Him, you've never heard that tug at your heart, or if you have heard it, you have ignored it, and you have never thrown open the heart's door and said, Lord, come into my heart, be my Savior and my Lord, I need you, I want you, then you've missed so much. And in a sense, you're only half alive. Because only Jesus gives life. The Bible says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants to give you life. Life eternal. Life forever. Life abundant. A joy full of grace and glory. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we go back to Pearl Harbor, and we remember the tyranny of those hours. Two hours, our whole striking force in the Pacific was gone. What would we depend upon? I want to say to you today, the strength of America cannot lie in our armaments, though I believe in rearmament. The strength of America cannot lie in how many hydrogen atomic bombs we have, though I believe in that. I'm not a, one of these people that marches against the nuclear weapons. But that's not our strength. There was a song in those days of the World War II, Praise the Lord and Pass the Ammunition. That's another way of saying, get up there on the wall of Jerusalem with your trial and your sword. Watch and pray. God never wants His people to sit down and do nothing. And so it is wise for us to have the strongest armament we can have. But with all that strength, America could go down the hole of defeat unless there is a spiritual rearmament. And I say to you today that no matter how fine a home you live in, and how much of a salary you receive, and how secure your future is. If you do not have Christ in your heart, you're of all men most miserable and spiritually poverty-stricken and headed for a tragic, tragic end, a Christless gloom forever and forever. But there's hope, and the message of Christmas is that message of hope. God loves you. He came into the world, the world received him not. Herod was too busy with his uh, finery in Jerusalem. Augustus Caesar knew nothing about it. Quirinius the governor knew very little about it, just a rumor or two. Some very close, like the innkeeper at the Bethlehem's hotel, didn't have any room. But there were some that made room. The shepherds. They said, what does this mean? What does all this mean? What mean these stones? What mean these angels' songs? What does this mean? Let's go to Bethlehem and find out. And in 1986, what does all this mean? What are all these songs about? Why well, remember Pearl Harbor? I want to ask you to come to Jesus and find out. Jesus is the answer to every heart cry, to every need, and He'll be your answer today. How do you get saved? How do you come to Christ? The Bible says we're sinners. And when we're willing to come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you, and I open my heart to you, 
I repent of my sins, Christ will come in and cleanse you and forgive you. Will you do it today? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. <coughs> Our Father, we thank Thee for these truths from God's Word on this special day as we remember with gratitude God's mercy on America. We would ask for mercy on our individual souls. Thank you, Father, there's a whole, whole group of people in this auditorium and by radio who have joined us who can say, I've been redeemed, I've been saved, the fear of the Lord is in my heart, I know Christ and I thank you, Father. But there's also a group, a large group, who have joined us by radio and many here in this auditorium who have never received Christ as Savior. We pray that this will be a day of victory, that someone would lay down his arms and say, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming to Christ, and I want Jesus as my Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Will you stand, please, and turn to page 252. Page 252. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. I want, to, I want to encourage everyone under the sound of my voice today to come to Christ. All that we've said is just, on, is just futile unless you take it and nourish it in your soul. And you let the fear of the Lord begin in your own heart. And you respond to what God has said to you. If you're here without Christ, I want to plead with you to come to Jesus just as you are today. If you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, why don't you come today and say, you know, I put this off a long time, but today I want to let Jesus know that I love Him, that I serve Him. I want Him to come into my life. I want His blood to cleanse me from sin. And I want to be on His team. Would you do that? While we begin to sing, is there someone who will step out from where you are and come on this December the 7th and say, here's my life, Christ, I give it to you. Will you come quickly right now? <laughs> 